Historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. My name is Itai Tenenbaum. I am both an Israeli and an American. Born in Tel Aviv, moved to the United States at the age of 11, and lived in the Washington, D.C. area. At 18, I returned to Israel, served in the Israeli Defense Forces, mainly as a tank commander. I participated in the First Lebanon War in the 1980s and for years inside Gaza in my month-a-year reserve duty. I run boutique tours to Israel and, of course, this podcast, Inside Israel. In this episode, I'd like to take a deeper look into the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, Shin Bet, and Mossad's ability to obtain crucial intelligence information, information that will lead the soldiers to the hostages, to the Hamas leaders, and generally help Israel win the war with the least possible casualties to our forces. As the entire world witnessed, our intelligence information forces failed us on October 7th. A colossal failure. But before diving into the intelligence, abilities, and failures, I first want to give you an update on the fighting. Presently, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, is conducting two types of warfare in Gaza. One in northern and central Gaza, and the other in southern Gaza. In the north, targeted raids by the IDF are eliminating destroyed quality targets. Quality targets such as command and control of Hamas and, of course, the tunnels. The IDF is in total control above ground and is now busy eliminating the pockets of terrorism that still remain in northern Gaza. The most significant achievement of the Israeli Defense Forces so far is the elimination, the killing, of 25% of Hamas terrorists, about 10,000 terrorists, and an additional 25% of Hamas terrorists are unable to fight due to injury. Hamas is down from 40,000 fighters to 20,000 fighters. They are not able to muster new recruits and aren't even really able to rearm. Understand, in modern and even ancient warfare, once an army lost 30% of its forces due to death or injury, that army either retreated or surrendered. Many Hamas terrorists have indeed surrendered, but not enough. Also, Hamas has nowhere to retreat other than to underground. For these reasons, Hamas is no longer functioning as an army-like organization. It is now attempting to conduct their warfare as a guerrilla organization. 19 of the 24 Hamas battalions in the Gaza Strip have been disbanded. And now the IDF mainly faces small squads of terrorists rather than organized attacked by a company or a battalion. IDF soldiers tell us that the terrorists stick their heads out of tunnel piers, fire off a shoulder missile, and then quickly attempt to escape underground. Most time, they are not effective, and many times the terrorists find their death in these attempts. Unfortunately, there are some times success in injuring and killing the IDF soldiers. The IDF has also succeeded in reducing rocket fire from the Gaza Strip by 90%. And lastly, the Israeli Defense Forces is underway in an attempt to destroy strategic tunnels. In southern Gaza, the IDF has eliminated the bulk of Hamas, mainly in the city of Khan Yunis. In Khan Yunis, Large Israeli forces are conducting intense combat using commando forces and the paratrooper brigade. The above-ground city of Khan Yunis is under siege and intense fighting is taking place above and below ground. So far, according to the Israeli Minister of Defense Yoav Gallant, approximately 3,000 terrorists have been killed in Khan Yunis and two of the four Hamas battalions have been disbanded. That makes one-third of the total fighters of Hamas in the city. The IDF estimates that the command and control of Hamas in the city have been dismantled, and most of the terrorists are on the run. Hamas is crippled and about to be put away in the city. Israeli special forces are making significant progress in the tunnels under Khan Yunis, 
This came as a surprise to Hamas, which did not expect an underground maneuver. Hundreds of shafts were destroyed and hundreds of Hamas fighters were killed underground. Despite these achievements, the Israeli Defense Forces still face many challenges. First and foremost are the 136 hostages, most alive but many dead, in Hamas captivity. Apart from the one hostage, a female soldier named Ori Magidish, no other hostages were released in a military operation. Second, 50% Hamas terrorists, as I mentioned before, about 20,000, are still functioning and are now attempting to strike at the IDF using guerrilla warfare. Third, the leaders of Hamas, Yehye Sinwar and Muhammad Def, are still alive. And fourth, Hamas tunnels have not yet been destroyed. Completing the mission of destroying Hamas's military and political power depends a lot on the ability to gather intelligence. Israelis have supreme confidence in the Israeli Defense Forces and in the intelligence organizations in the IDF and outside the IDF. And this is despite the colossal intelligence failure that led us to October 7th. And so I'd like to take a dive behind the shadows of Israeli intelligence. To start off, one must realize that most democracies and non-democracies gather intelligence for the purpose of defense of their homeland. This is done by Israel with several goals. 1. Gathering intelligence with the purpose of establishing a security strategy for Israel. It is called national intelligence. In Israel's case, many intelligence organizations must work together to complete a so-called picture of strategic threats to the well-being and even existential threats to the state of Israel. 2. Gathering intelligence with the purpose of building the needed apparatus in the Israeli Defense Forces and other security services to repel any type of threat against Israel. 3. Gathering intelligence with the purpose of inflicting the greatest possible damage to the enemy. So, it works like this. 1. You collect, obtain intelligence information. In a few moments, I will speak about how this information is collected. And the second stage is the processing and analysis of the collected information into what we call the greater picture. Once the overall picture is determined, the political system will establish the ways and means of basically keeping Israel safe. To put it simply, the ultimate goal of the military intelligence, as well as the other state-run security forces, or security intelligence, is to alert the leadership of an oncoming war and allow that leadership, political leadership that is, to decide on a course of action. Obviously, October 7th, that didn't work. Israel will need to investigate the failures thoroughly. Okay, so let's understand who is in charge of gathering intelligence information for the state of Israel. The Israeli intelligence community is made up of three large organizations that maintain an extensive system of mutual relations between them. Each body has its own area of responsibility and its own dominant operating characteristics. The three intelligence bodies are as follows. First, the Israeli Defense Forces Intelligence Corps. It's called Military Intelligence, known in Israel simply as AMAN, which is an acronym for the Intelligence Wing. The main functions of AMAN is to provide an intelligence assessment at the military and political levels. In the United States military, it is called the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency. Simply put, Israel's Amman is in charge with providing intelligence to the Israel Defense Forces, the Defense Minister, and the government in areas dealing with Israel's strategic environment. The information is collected for the purpose of the following. Policymaking, assessment of situations, the exercise of force, and political negotiations. Let me give you a couple of examples of success and failures of the Israeli military intelligence, again known as Amman. On June 6, 1967, which was the second day of the Six-Day War, Egyptian President Gamal Abdel Nasser and King Hussein of Jordan spoke on the phone. 
in their conversation, the two agreed that they would publicly present to their people and to the world a blatant lie in which America and British fighter planes are participating in the military campaign on the side of Israel. Egyptian President Nasser suggested that the two leaders declare the next morning that America and British planes took off from aircraft carriers in the Eastern Mediterranean Sea and participated in the attack on the airports in Egypt and Jordan. This lie was intended to serve the Arab information system because there's such a fundamental difference between a shameful defeat and a war against a small country like Israel and a defeat and a war against the Western powers, the United States and Great Britain. The phone call, which was conducted on a wireless phone line, was picked up by an Israeli soldier named Shlomo Chabusha from the IDF Amman Listing Unit, Unit Number 515, which is now the infamous Unit Number 8200. And here's what they said on the call, and I'm quoting. Nasser, good morning, your majesty. I hear that he wants to know if the fighting continues along the entire front. Do you know the United States is participating with Israel in the war? Shall we announce it? King Hussein of Jordan, I can't hear you. The line is very bad. Nasser raises his voice a bit and says the following. Hello, your majesty. Shall we say the United States and England or just the United States? Hussein, the United States and England. Nasser, I will publish a message and you will publish a message as well. We will make sure that the Syrians also publish a message that the Americans and the British fighter planes are participating against us. We will issue a message emphasizing the matter and make it even worse. Hussein, well, fine. At the end of the conversation, Nasser was heard claiming that the Egyptian Air Force has been attacking Israeli airports since that morning even though he knew that his Air Force had been completely annihilated the day before. He outright lied to his ally, King Hussein. In an Egyptian news release at 6 a.m. the next day, broadcasted by Radio Cairo, a dramatic and detailed announcement was made about the American-British-Israeli conspiracy. One hour later, Radio Amman in Jordan also repeated the same version. The broadcaster said that three American and British aircraft carriers are anchored near the Israeli coast and planes are taken off from their decks to bomb Egyptian and Jordanian forces. At 9 a.m., a similar news release was also broadcast on Radio Damascus in Syria. Following these reports, Defense Minister, Israel Defense Minister, Moshe Dayan, wanted to reveal the Nasser Hussein conversation to the media. He wanted to show them up as lying to their people, but also to ward off a Soviet Union excuse to get involved. Major General Aharon Yariv, head of the Israeli Amman, the Israeli military intelligence at the time, opposed the publication of the conversation because he feared that the mere publication of the recorded conversation would reveal intelligence sources, working methods of Amman as well, and the specific listening unit in particular. After much deliberation, it was decided to publish a conversation, among other reasons, as mentioned, out of concern that Egypt is trying, through the attempted fraud, to drag the Soviet Union into the war, since Moscow had committed to getting involved if the United States intervenes on Israel's side. Remember that at the time, the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States was in full swing. Both powers tried to maintain the strategic assets and strategic interests in the Middle East. The United States was on the Israeli side, and the Soviet Union stood by the Arab countries. Israel also hoped airing the conversation would sow a wedge between Nasser and Hussein after it was discovered that Nasser deceived the Jordanian king. This is because at the end of the conversation, once again, Nasser was heard claiming that the Egyptian Air Force had been attacking Israeli airports since the morning, even though Nasser knew his Air Force had been completely annihilated, as I mentioned before. Nasser did this 
so that the Jordanian military would strike full force at Israel, thereby easing the pressure on the Egyptian army. At 5 p.m. on that day, after a short explanation message, the entire conversation, as recorded, was broadcast on Israeli radio. Imagine the look on President Nasser and King Hussein's faces when they heard their own voices on Israeli radio, totally exposed to their people and to the world. In general, the 1967 Six-Day War lasted only six days, in which Israel decimated the Egyptian, Jordanian, and Syrian armies, were due to the IDF preparedness that of course stemmed from excellent and precise intelligence information by Amman, the Israeli military intelligence. But Amman also had failed on several occasions. The most significant failure before October 7th was the 1973 Yom Kippur War in which Israel was totally surprised by an attack of the Egyptian and Syrian armies. As an Israeli general put it at the time, we were caught with our pants down. Israel was devastated with nearly 2,700 soldiers killed, nearly 7,500 soldiers wounded, and 294 taken prisoners of war. The second intelligence agency is the General Security Service, otherwise known as the Shin Bet. The Shin Bet is entrusted with maintaining the security of Israel, securing Israeli democracy, its nature, and its rule, securing Israel against threats of terrorism, sabotage, espionage, subversion, and disclosure of state secrets. The Shin Bet operates within the sovereignty of the State of Israel and in areas under its control like the West Bank as well as the Gaza, which has not been under Israeli control since 2005. Its role is to protect the personal safety of the citizens of Israel and its residents. According to the Shin Bet law, the head of the Shin Bet is subordinate to the Prime Minister and subject to the government's authority. In America, the parallel to the Shin Bet is the FBI. In the UK, it's MI5. But the Israeli Shin Bet differs a bit because it is also tasked, once again, with gathering intelligence in the West Bank and Gaza, which are mostly outside of Israel's sovereign borders. A couple examples of success and failures of the Shin Bet. As I speak, the Shin Bet is looking for Yichia Sinwar, the military leader of Hamas, and Muhammad Def. Currently, both are underground somewhere in southern Gaza. Years back, Another Yichyeh, Yichyeh Ayash, an arch-terrorist who was one of the founders of Hamas's as Adin el-Qassam's terror brigade and responsible for introducing the method of suicide attacks into Israeli territories in the 1990s as they claimed the lives of hundreds of Israelis. Ayash's nickname was The Engineer due to the extensive expertise he gained in building improvised and deadly explosive devices that were used to kill Israeli civilians, both with car bombs and with suicide bombers. Ayash was the main planner of all Hamas attacks, and in addition, he was the one who prepared the explosive material and attached it to the willing suicide bomber. When the Shinbet marked Ayash as the one responsible for the series of murderous attacks, it began to hunt him down, but he managed to evade the security services. Thanks in part to the disguises he used and to the fact that he changed places of residence very frequently. In the mid-1990s, Ayash fled to Gaza and hid there from the security forces of Israel. Shin Bet on-the-ground agents were able to locate and recruit an individual, a Palestinian, that was somewhat close to Ayash. It was an assistant of his, he was also a family member. The Shin Bet gave the man a cell phone for his private use. After seeing that Ayash was also using the same phone, as expected, the assistant was provided with an alternative device. This time, it was filled with an explosive charge that could be activated remotely. 
An opportunity arose when Ayash received the call from his father. A remote was activated, most likely from the air. Ayash died immediately. The Shinbet had been and still is enormously effective at preempting potential terrorist attacks. They've been doing it for years with much success, most of it not revealed to the public, not yet anyway. But, as in any organization, there are also failures. One of the Shin Bet's biggest failures is no doubt the assassination of Prime Minister Itzhak Rabin in 1995. An inquiry committee headed by Meir Shamgal, former president of the Supreme Court of Israel, determined that Rabin's murder was made possible as a result of a security failure and lack of coordination between the various agencies in charge of security and the failure to follow instructions and procedures, which led to the loosening of the tight security ring around Rabin. And so now we come to the third Israeli security agency, the Institute for Intelligence and Special Tasks, best known simply as the Mossad. The Mossad is charged with gathering information and carrying out special covert operations outside of Israel's borders. For example, thwarting terrorist activities and preventing the development of unconventional weapons in hostile countries. In the United States, that would be the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency. In the UK, that would be MI6. A couple examples, again, of success and failures of the Mossad. Exposing Iran's nuclear ambitions was one of Israel's biggest successes. Mossad agents smuggled themselves to a hangar in a suburb of Tehran and managed to spiel the Iranian nuclear archive from under the noses of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. The agents, the Mossad agents, trained dozens of times for this moment. They measured every second with a stopwatch and practiced countless times the break-in methods, the location of security cameras, the guards, routine, and escape routes. In the time allotted to the Mossad agents inside the hangar, only a few hours, it was possible to break into only two safes out of the three important ones. They knew exactly which ones to go to and which ones to leave behind. All the secrets of Iran's nuclear weapons development were there, revealing in detail what Iran tried to hide for years from the world. The Mossad agents finished breaking into the safes, quickly collected the thousands of documents in boxes and got into cars that were waiting for them with running engines outside the hangar. The clock showed two minutes to five in the morning, right on time, right on schedule. Within minutes, the Iranians realized that someone had visited the heart of the regime's most hidden secret. The country's borders were closed and a breathtaking chase began that lasted for days. Until now, it is not permissible to tell how the Mossad agents escaped and managed to get to a safe place with the entire archive. One of the Mossad's success, but ultimately a failure, was about a spy named Eli Cohen, one of the most daring spies in the history of the Mossad and military intelligence, who posed as a businessman from Argentina, operated under a false identity, and infiltrated the top of the Syrian government officials. He operated for three years until he was arrested by the Syrian government. Years later, former Prime Minister Levi Eshkol would say that the information passed on by Eli Cohen led to victory in the Six Days War. To this day, there are substantial claims that his operational time was too long and that he could have been returned to Israel before he was quote-unquote burned. Eli Cohen was executed in Syria in May of 1965. How was intelligence information gathered by the State of Israel? Here are some examples. 1. Open Source Intelligence Gathering news and information from open sources, written and electronic communication, government publications, academic publications, database open to the public, etc. As distinguished from covert gathering, there's also a semi-overt collection that produces information through the diplomatic system, ambassadors, 
military attaches, and the like. Number two, singles intelligence. This is a branch of military intelligence that deals with gathering important information by intercepting electronic signals and extracting intelligence information from them. In the USA, the NSA, the National Security Agency, is the agency responsible for tracking singles intelligence. Three, visual intelligence. Visual intelligence is obtained from optical means of collection, observations by the eye, binocular, and others, observation by various devices from the ground and from the air, and various means of photography, such as drones, airplanes, and satellites. Four is human intelligence. Human intelligence is an intelligence gathering method that specializes in gathering information from people, basically recruiting and training spies. On October 7th, none of these seemed to work. Israel was surprised by Hamas not so much due to the lack of intelligence information that was clearly available, but rather the inability to connect the dots. This led to an assessment that was off from reality by light years, an assessment that led to a concept that Hamas is deterred by Israel, an assessment that thus far has led to the death of over 1,400 Israeli civilians and soldiers. I feel that it is safe to say that October 7th is indeed the biggest Israeli intelligence failure along with the Yom Kippur War of 1973. The bottom line of the upcoming post-war investigation is already clear to Israelis. The intelligence gathering creating the assessment was a colossal failure. Thousands of intelligence personnel were wrong. No doubt drastic changes will be made. And yet the IDF inside Gaza is gathering much intel. Since the beginning of the war, more than 65 million files and another half million documents, operational plans and combat doctrines of Hamas have been seized. Upon receiving the material, intelligence units analyze it and deduce operational meetings intended to improve the activity of the fighting forces. In this way, the unit assists in the extraction of intelligence and its flow back to the operational end, and at the same time help to maintain the security of the Israel Defense Forces. As I speak, dozens of new deployable level units provide real-time intelligence to any force that is maneuvering in the Gaza Strip. Wireless operations, network intelligence officers, coders and research work side by side to assist in the defense of the forces and at the same time discover the hiding places of Hamas terrorists capturing or killing them. Close to the ground forces, but in the air, is the Skylark unmanned aerial vehicle. The UAV is the eyes in the sky for the ground forces. It provides visual intelligence from the air close to the ground helping the IDF brigades to maneuver. A less known IDF unit is called Unit Number 504, responsible for recruiting field agents and interrogating captured Hamas terrorists, have uncovered much information. The hundreds of captured Hamas are providing detailed intel on the whereabouts of their fighting forces, their whereabouts of the tunnels, even where hostages were held, and other needed intel information. Gaza civilians, not in Hamas camp, have exposed information as well. A senior officer in Unit Number 504 was quoted in the IDF spokesman saying the following, We received thousands of phone calls from collaborators, magnitude never before seen in the 504 unit. It is evident that the residents of the Gaza Strip are unhappy with the barbaric conduct of Hamas. The ordinary citizen understands that Hamas is responsible for the disaster of the residents of Gaza that will be difficult for them to overcome. Years ago, military and political leadership formulated a strategy that has guided Israel for most of our existence. The small size of the state of Israel and the considerably small population has led to a strategy that said the following. Israel cannot afford to be surprised. We're too small and a surprise could mean a knockout. 
Hence, Israel should always maintain an element of surprise. 2. Israel cannot afford to fight a war on its own soil. Again, we're too small and narrow. Up to 1967, Israel had an 8-mile width in the center of the country. Hence, we need to take the battle into the enemy's territory. And 3. Israel cannot afford to fight a long war. For most of Israel's existence, we had a weak economy. A long war would be devastating economically. It's 2024, and Israel is very different. So is the Middle East. A new strategy must be formulated and implemented. Thank you for listening. Please share this in another episode. This episode and all the others can be listened to on all podcast media sources, such as Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and more. It is also possible to listen on InsideIsrael.fm. The Inside Israel podcast needs and would love your support. If willing, please log into InsideIsrael.fm and click on the Support Us button.